So I, I wonder what you, you think about this whole idea of, of resurrection. I, I find it interesting that when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we all, the, the church, believers, Christians, uh, we sort of just sign off on it, right? Like many of us have been believers for a long time. Some of us have been going to church for a long time. And you and I, we come to this place and we're sort of like, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. He is risen. He is risen. In, yeah, some of you got it. That's right. We, we don't, Matt tried last week, but, but we say it like that. You know, we, we, we just say it like, like if it's not a big deal. Yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. What's for lunch, right? And, and this is a very foundational and fundamental piece of our faith. It, it separates Christianity from most world religions. And if it's true, if, if it's true, it allows Jesus, it allows his followers to make some exclusive claims about him and who he was, who he is. And if we're followers of Christ, then we live in the light of the resurrection, post-resurrection. And it should really cause us to walk in a faith that is filled with awe and wonder. If the resurrection is true and followers of Jesus Christ really believed it, then we shouldn't have to walk around clenching our fists and trying to control and protect everything. We should have some sort of peace at, at some point. Like, we got it. We've won. Let's, let's act like we've won, right? And when you think about the idea of what resurrection really is, this idea of coming back from the dead, uh, being restored to life, we're reminded about it every time, uh, this year, every time where spring has arrived. How many families are on spring break right now? What are you doing here? You go, wow, why are you at church? Come on, right? But, uh, but baseball is back. Baseball fans here, right? Baseball is back. Opening day was last week. Um, the Canadians have returned. You know, that's this time every year, you know. But most importantly, there are only 261 days till Christmas now. Isn't that exciting? I love winter. Oh, I can't wait. Tulips and lilies are starting to pop out of the ground, right? Grass is turning green. Allergies are kicking in. Um, so within the fabric of God's story of creation, there is this DNA of resurrection. Uh, what was dead is now coming to life. And every spring we have this new life that comes about. And we don't really ask questions of it, right? We just say, oh yeah, it's time to mow the grass again, right? We've lost the awe and the wonder of creation that's all around us. And, and resurrection is a piece of that. And so today, I want us to once again enter into the story. We're a week after Easter Sunday, and I want us to try to participate in the story of resurrection. And to do that by putting ourselves in the sandals of the disciples. We've been going through this book, We Make the Road, by walking uh, Brian McLaren. Um, and it's a chapter, a week-by-week -week chapter for the church to walk through. And so um, last week we were in chapter 33, which was the Easter story. And today we're in chapter 34. And several of you have the book and are following along with us. But I want us to again enter into this story. And so if you could all close your eyes with me. I'm not going to close my eyes. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to take a deep breath. God, I pray that you open our hearts, our minds, and our ears to what you have to say. It says, we were afraid that first Sunday night 
just three days after Jesus died, really afraid. We were afraid to go outside in case someone might recognize us as Jesus' friends and notify the authorities. To them, Jesus was nothing more than a troublemaker and a rabble-rouser. The rumors about Jesus rising from the dead spread by some of the women among us only made matters worse. The authorities would know by those rumors that dreams of an uprising hadn't completely died, which meant that we were in danger, real danger. And so we locked ourselves in a room, but even there we were afraid because at any moment some temple guards or Roman soldiers might bang on the door. And so there we remained, tense, jumpy, simmering with anxiety. What happened Friday had been ugly, and we didn't want it to happen to the rest of us. Every sound startled us, and suddenly we all felt something, a presence familiar yet impossible. How could Jesus be among us? Peace be with you, he said. He showed us his scarred hands and his feet. It started to dawn on us that the women's reports were not just wishful thinking, but they were true. And we too were experiencing the risen Christ. I give you my peace, he said again. And then he did three things that changed us forever. First, he said, as the father sent me, so I am sending you. Here we were huddled in our little safe house like a bunch of cowards. And he was still interested in sending cowards like us to continue his mission. Next, he came close to us and breathed on us. Welcome the Holy Spirit, he said. Of course, this reminded us all of the story in Genesis when God breathed life into Adam and Eve. It was a new beginning, he was telling us. It was a new Genesis, and we were to be the prototypes of a new kind of human community. The next came the greatest shock of all. After what happened on Friday, anyone with scars like this would have been expected to say, go and get revenge on those evil beasts who did this to me. But Jesus said, I'm sending you with the power to forgive. Peace, forgiveness. Those aren't the responses you expect from someone who had suffered what Jesus suffered. But in that brief moment, when our locked hideout was filled with his presence, that was the message we all received. All of us except Thomas, that is. Thomas wasn't with us that night. When we saw Thomas later and told him that what we had experienced, he was his typical skeptical self. I want to touch those scars with my own hands and see for myself, or I won't believe, he said. I don't know about you, but if I was one of the 12 disciples and I missed out on the resurrection, I'd be pretty, pretty bummed about it, right? Like for three and a half years, uh, you walk around with this guy and you do all the right stuff and you're always there when he needs you, but you have to fill in this shift at work or your kid has to go to the doctor and, and you missed it, right? You, Jesus shows up from the dead in front of everyone else and you missed it. And you get back home and they're like, man, you should have been there yesterday. And Thomas is like, well, what happened? John's like, man, Jesus rose from the dead and we hung out. It was so cool. You should have been there, right? And you're like, what? I missed it? I missed the resurrection? And that might, sign, that might sound a little funny, but if we really think about it, if that was us, we would probably be a little upset, right? Upset that we, we missed it. And so I come to my, my own faith story here, and, and here's the irony, 
often I live like I've missed out on the resurrection too, even though I believe it. See, I find myself uh, at times reducing my faith to, to going to church, to serving the community, to giving some money. And I walk past all the wonder of creation that I see in the kids' faces, that I see in my wife or when I'm at the park or when I just keep doing life. And it's so easy for all of us to live like our God is dead. Like, essentially, in our relationship with Jesus, we're the only living person in that relationship. He's sort of just somewhere out there, like on a cross, in a book, in some prayers and thoughts, but not alive. And theologically, we would say that, yeah, he's risen from the dead. But in my experience and in your experience, we live as though we've missed out on the resurrection. That we just keep going on about our day, that death being restored to life has very little impact whatsoever. And John's gospel is calling for us to believe that our God, our our King Jesus is alive. And that should radically alter the way in which you and I respond to him. You see, I believe that we all come to faith on our own journey and each of us in God's timing And it wasn't by accident that Thomas wasn't there when Jesus first appeared. You see, Jesus wanted to meet Thomas in a particular way. And in verse 25 of John chapter 20, it says this. So the disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, I want to say a few things in defense of Thomas, because Thomas gets, a, gets kind of a bad rap here. How does everybody remember Thomas? What's his nickname? Downy Thomas. Like, how would you feel if that's what everyone in church referred to you as, right? You know, hey, it's Doubting Bob, right? You know, who'd you go out with tonight? Doubting Bob, all right? I know who Doubting Bob is. It's like this guy had a question, right? He, 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 had, he, had a, uh, he was wondering, he didn't have an answer to something, like Jesus raises from the dead and Thomas says, eh, I don't think I'm going to buy that, right? And everyone's like, oh, look at Thomas. You know, he's a doubter, doubting Thomas, right? It's the first recorded faith shamers after the resurrection, right? It's the first case of toxic evangelicalism right there. Oh, you don't believe right. Well, then we're going to label you a doubter. And for thousands of years, he's in heaven, right? And people are going up there and they're like, man, look at it's doubting Thomas, right? We read about you. I'm surprised you got in with all your doubts. You know, you know, it's just, it's awkward for him. But there's this sense that he's labeled by this, this horrible stigma that never leaves him. And if I think that happened to you or I, every time we had a doubt or a question, like, I think we would be rightfully named the church of doubters. Like, so in defense of Thomas, what I see in Thomas is I see a guy who's a critical thinker. He's a skeptic for sure, but so are many of us. He goes, man, I am glad you guys have all shared this experience together. I'm, I'm so happy for you guys. But listen, here's the deal. I can't really believe it just because you guys said you saw him. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to critique this moment. I'm going to think critically about what you're talking about. You're saying that a man that I watched die that I saw a crown of thorns smashed into his forehead. I saw them drive nails into his feet, 
nails into his hands, and I watched the air exit his lungs for the last time. I saw them then take a spear and stab him in the side, and I saw blood and water pour out. And then they took took him off the cross, carried him away and put him in a tomb, and then sealed it. And now you're telling me that he came back from the dead and he, he hung out with you? See, I don't think Thomas was so much a doubter as he was a critical thinker. That if the resurrection truly happened, someone was going to have to show him some, some evidence, right? And what is often attributed as weakness for him, I believe, was his strength. That Thomas wasn't going to just go with the crowd and fold under the pressure of his, of his friends. And even though he's a part of this elite group called the Twelve, and they're all saying, we believe it, he still says, that's not enough for me, guys. I'm not going to just jump because you told me to. And I don't know about you, but as a skeptic myself, I appreciate that at least one of the original witnesses to the resurrection wasn't that easily convinced. That he wasn't just buying the story that he was told, but that he required proof. Because if you and I are passing on this story to the next generation, year after year for another thousand years, I would want to know that the original people who witnessed Jesus, the ones who were closest to him, weren't being fooled by some sort of magic trick or making it up as they went. Because if they were making it up, Why tell people that there were some who doubted, that some who didn't believe? Why not just say that everyone believed it? If they had made it up, I'm not sure that they would have been willing to be killed for a lie. And so here's Thomas saying, you know what? If this resurrection is real, if Jesus is truly risen from the dead, it's going to have to meet certain criteria for me to buy it. And here's the criteria. It has to be physical. I have to touch him. It can't just be an appearance or a ghost or some uh, some hologram or some kind of uh, weird thing that you saw. I want to touch him. I need to see him physically here. I need to see it and I have to touch it. In other words, I have to have my own experience of it. Don't you want to have your own faith and to experience your own faith and not something that Grandpa Edgar experienced at some tent revival, right? Don't you want your story to be your story and for it to be real to you? Thomas is not afraid to say that this is what I need to believe the story. This is my criteria. Even though we would look at him and say he walked with Jesus, he shouldn't wrestle with his faith. He didn't believe. He did doubt whether or not Jesus was really alive. A week later, we again were all together, this time with Thomas. We were still nervous about the authorities, so we were careful to keep the doors locked. And just as before, Jesus, his presence suddenly became real among us, visible. He spoke peace to us, and then he went straight to Thomas, inviting him to see, touch, and believe. He did not criticize Thomas for doubting. He wanted to help him believe. My Lord and my God. Thomas replied. He couldn't help, we couldn't help but remember back on Thursday night when Thomas asked where he was going and what was the way to get there. And Jesus replied, I am the way. 
Philip then asked Jesus to show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, then you have seen the Father. Now, 10 days later, it seemed as if Thomas was beginning to understand what Jesus had meant. He saw God in a scarred man whose holy aliveness is more powerful than human cruelty. So what does this, what does this mean for you and I? I think what John is trying to do in his gospel is he's asking us to enter in. Asking the reader, those listening to the story, what is your criteria for believing the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I said this last week that I don't know where everyone is on their faith journey. Some of you believe the story you've always have. Some of you are new to believing. Some of you, there are parts that you believe and some of you don't believe it at all. And in our culture that is completely cynical, a culture that is full of doubt, and skepticism. I would wonder how much you really believe if you didn't wrestle with it. Like if you didn't honestly ask yourself, what is my criteria for going all in when it comes to following Jesus Christ? What would it take for me to truly live like Jesus was resurrected? Some of you will, you believe pretty simply, and that's a beautiful thing. Perhaps even when you were a a, a kid. And you shouldn't let people who are always skeptical and cynical bum you out. Because if you have childlike faith, you you should be excited about that. You should have a peace in that. And others of us, we're we're just really apathetic. And we really don't think that hard when it comes to our faith. We want to feel something. We want to have this emotion. We want to have this encounter or this experience but we're really not willing to think deeply about it. And so we're apathetic about it. And I don't think we could really articulate what our criteria would be or that we would even be willing to to, to try the hard work to figure it out. And unfortunately, that when our faith is apathetic and we're apathetic towards Jesus, we never really move anywhere. We go down this long tradition of people who have played church. And we play games with God for centuries. And we're in that long historical line of apathetic Christians. And so I challenge you today, if that's you to say, this is what I need to believe. So make a list. Ask your questions. I'm not suggesting that you create hoops for God to jump through. But I believe John is calling us into this story to say, what is your list? Here's what Thomas's was. What do you need to believe in the wonder and resurrection of Jesus? And here's the one thing I believe that we all need in order for this story to be real. For us to believe it, for us to live like it. And that one thing that should be on all of our list is a community, a fellowship. Whether we call it a fellowship of believers or doubters or followers You and I, we were created to be in community with one another and to do life together. That our faith is personal, but not private. And if you were just a guest here last week and you came back this week, I want to welcome you to the fellowship, to the community. I want you to stay, to get plugged in, to enter into the story with us. See, that's one thing you have to say about Thomas Even though he didn't believe at first, he stayed with us 
open to the possibility that his doubt could be transformed into faith. He kept coming back. He kept showing up. If he hadn't wanted to believe, he had a week to leave and go back home, but he didn't. He stayed, not believing, but wanting to believe. And from that night, we learned something essential about what this uprising is going to be about. It isn't just for brave people, but for scared folks like us who are willing to become brave. It isn't just for believers, but for doubting folks like Thomas, who want to believe in spite of their skepticism. It isn't just for good people, but for normal, flawed people like you and me and Thomas and Peter. And I should add that it isn't just for men either. See, it's no secret that men in our culture often treat women as inferior. Even on resurrection morning, when Mary Magdalene breathlessly claimed that the Lord was risen, the men among us didn't offer her much in the way of respect. There were all sorts of ignorant comments about the way women are. Now we realize the Lord was telling us something by bypassing all of the male disciples and appearing first to the women. And as we look back, we realize he's been treating women with the more respect than the rest of us have right from the very start. We have a term for what we began to experience that night. It's fellowship. Fellowship is a kind of belonging that isn't based on status, achievement, or gender, but instead is based on a deep belief that everyone matters, everyone is welcome, and everyone is loved. No conditions, no exceptions. It's not the kind of belonging you find at the top of a ladder among those who think they are the best, but at the bottom among all the rest, with all the other failures and losers who have been either climbed the ladder and fallen or never got up the gumption to climb in the first place. Whatever else this uprising will become from that night, we've known it as an uprising of fellowship, a community where anyone who wants to be a part of is welcome. Jesus showed us his scars, and we're starting to realize that we don't have to hide ours. So fellowship is for scarred people and for scared people, for people who want to believe but aren't sure what or how to believe. And when we come together just as we are, we begin to rise again, to believe again, to hope again, to live again. Through fellowship, a little locked room becomes the biggest space in the world. In that space of fellowship, the Holy Spirit fills us like a deep breath of fresh air. I want to invite the band back on stage. And this is how we're going to kind of switch gears. What's beautiful about John's gospel that without Thomas and his doubting, the gospel never makes its point. You see, John starts off in the first chapter saying that I'm here to prove Jesus is God. And he never gets there until right now, until Thomas makes his confession. And he says, this is why I wrote this, so that you could hear doubting Thomas say that Jesus is God. And ultimately what John wants you to do is to make that same confession that Thomas made. To be able to say by faith that Jesus, you are my Lord. That Jesus, you are my God. And we have to recognize that in this place as your pastor and as your friend, I can't say my for you and you can't say my for me. But the personal word that you're my is something only you can make. 
And so as we move out of this Easter story and through the resurrection, and, and, and we're not just looking to just go through a pretty amazing story, but we're here to really ask the questions, do you believe? That's what John wants us to wrestle with. And what confession will you make today about the risen Christ? So that when we walk out these doors, when we just, when we just go back to reducing it, to dismissing the wonder and not living in the resurrection? Or will we surrender to this beautiful confession that I rest now in your promises because you are my Lord and you are my God. You and I, this community of believers and, and, and doubters, together we walk in the promises of God. That faith is a journey and it's a long road and it's a road that's not easily or often marked out for us but we make that road by walking together God in the next moments here as the band plays I want you to speak to our hearts the places that we have been afraid to ask questions we've been afraid to to, to doubt and often afraid to believe so God, we pray for you to help with our unbelief. We pray for this community to be open and welcoming, to make space and room for everyone and to allow you to move on your time and in your ways. It took the entire gospel of John from chapter one to the end the words to be spoken of faith that you are my God, you are my Lord. God, allow us to speak those words today, to confess those words, and to begin a journey, to get back on the journey, or to recognize that we've always been on a journey, and that you're calling us back to you. To listen to the the words of this song. We are going to continue this time of reflection and worship and move into our time to give you the opportunity to respond with your giving. Um, If you had taken the opportunity to fill out anything on a note card or connect card with interest for child dedication or baptism, um, this would be where you would um, drop that in with our giving in just a moment. Um, But I wanted to um, just take a moment to to share a little bit with you um, as we prepare to give, Um, you know, mentioned at the beginning of the service that um, our friend Joe passed away on Friday. And kind of ironically, the same morning, my mom called um, at around 8, 30, 8 o'clock and, and had told me that my grandmother passed away. So my grandmother passed, and then two hours later, um, Joe passed. And so um, the last couple of days have just been a little hard um, for me. I was very close to my grandmother. Um, had kind of the privilege of growing up right down the road from my grandparents, and that was life as a child. I, that's all I knew. That you know, we just ran. To, we went to grandma's, and um, I I um, have a lot of fond memories of her. And um, you know, Jeff shared in the story today about how Jesus, when he returned, he was you know telling the disciples and, and promising them peace. That he was bringing them peace. He was giving them the gift of peace and. 
and breathing that presence of his spirit and leaving that with them. And I have been really asking God for that peace the last couple of days. And so I want to, because I don't get to go home and I don't get to be with my family, I wanted just to share a story with you about my grandma, because this is the way that I can remember her. But her name was um, Emily Baddock. Her name was actually Emily Bertha Baddock, but when she was younger, she decided that Bertha was not a good middle name. So she dropped that, which I always felt it was, um, to me as a woman, was very inspiring as a young woman, because I thought, yeah, you go girl, that is not a good middle name. And so she dropped the Bertha and was Emily Baddock to us. And she lived just shy of 98 years old. She was strong and determined. Um, she was married to my grandfather for 73 years, together for 75 years. Hardworking. She was a caretaker. She was one of the kindest women that I may have ever known. Um, but being privileged to grow up right down the road from her, one of her greatest joys in life was her garden. And um, no matter what you were eating at Grandma's house, if you were having spaghetti, it always came with a precursor, a, you know, the, the first course was always vegetable soup, always. It didn't matter what we were eating. And she would say, now you guys know, this, these are vegetables from my garden, every time, like as if it was new news. And um, we would, oh yeah, thank you so much, Grandma. Um, but without a doubt, every, every time we would clean up our food and we would, we would clean up the dishes, she would say, okay, um, who wants to go walk the garden with me? And as a child, I was just like, oh, I don't want to hear about more vegetables. But um, as I got older, I learned that, and now that's all I eat, right? Um, and, and that as a child, I learned, and as I got older, that that was her way to really spend time with us. And she would say, do you want to walk the garden with me? And it was like all she had was time to give. And she would walk down the rows, and she would tell us about, oh, look at my radishes, and look at my carrots are coming up. And she was so proud that she had worked so hard and that she was able to give our family pieces of her garden. And so the last couple nights, I haven't really had a lot of sleep. I've just been pondering, and I, there's so many things about her life that I don't want to forget. And it's like your mind is racing to remember all the precious things when you lose someone that you love. And I was asking God, like, because I knew Jeff was talking about the story of the disciples. I'm like, all right, like, I really need you to give me that peace. Like, you said it. It's your promise. Like, I need you to share that piece with me, because I really don't feel it right now. I'm just really sad. And, uh, and I felt like when I couldn't sleep, what God was saying to me was, do you want to walk the garden with me? Because I have all the time in the world. And I think that um, that picture just kind of stayed in my head that, you know, perhaps what he's waiting for with me and with you and every one of us is to be able to, to call out your name and to say, you know, Jody, do you want to walk the garden with me? Because I have time. Time is all I have that I want to give you. And I want to whisper those things to you when we're looking at the, this world that I've created. And I want to tell you how proud I am of you and how much I love you and how fearfully and wonderfully made you are. And, and that peace that I did promise is here and it's always available. So sometimes I think that there are hardships that happen, but there are, there are reasons that they come so that we can remember that he wants to just walk with us in all of those moments. He wants to take care of us and to tell us by name how special we are, even in the things that we face that are so hard. And so today, you know, we're preparing to give, and the band is going to sing another song for us as we do that. And what I want to say to you is that it's when you choose to walk with him 
And it's when you choose to take that time that you begin to learn the rhythms of who he is. Generosity and compassion and love and kindness, those are the things that flow from him and that he wants and desires to, to see them flowing from us, right? And so maybe the lesson I learned most from my grandmother was that she had all the time in the world to show off all her vegetables to me. But what I learned from that is that she was so proud and she wanted to have that time with me. And in, in the same way, our father wants that time, you know, to take those walks and to whisper in our ears and to tell us how much he loves us and to teach us about things like giving and serving and loving others. And, and that's what this community does so well. That's what I see you guys do so well all the time. So as you listen to the words of the song and as you're thinking about your walk with him, perhaps he's saying something to you today about your faith and your doubts and your questions, and that's okay. And he wants us to bring those to him because he has all the time in the world. So I want you to listen to the words of the song, and we'll come back together um, to pray for our giving. If I could get four of my friends to come help um, with the baskets this morning, um, and we're going to pray um, for our giving and um, and worship in that way. Um, maybe you are kind of can insert yourself into the story today of what Jeff was sharing about the disciples and um, that journey of faith was kind of a roller coaster in those days and in those moments where um, they were wanting to know if this resurrection life was real. And Thomas had the questions, and there are always different parts, parts that we can relate to in stories when we read through Scripture. And I would invite you to just be listening today and this week and the days to come. That There are times when God will be whispering to you and asking you to walk with him so that he can show himself to you and continue to introduce his characteristics and his love and his mercy and grace um, and, and life to you. So I want you to keep that in mind today as, as we pray and we give and um, worship in this way. God, thank you again for all of this time today together as a family and community of fellowship. Thank you for your words that ring true in our hearts, that your peace is with us, that your spirit dwells upon us and within us and it's all around us, that we can sense that you're here and that you have never left us. I just pray that as we walk with you this week, that you would give us moments where you remind us of how loved and beloved we are to you. And that there are moments that you just have all the time in the world that you want to invest and give us and shine on us and through us. And we just, we thank you for that. We thank you that you're a father that has our time and our hearts in your mind. We thank you that you love us so deeply. And as we give today, I pray that it would, it would be out of our hearts, that it would be because we're connected to who you are and we believe in your generosity and compassion and serving and, and all the things that you teach us about your character. I pray that that would be on our hearts today as we give and we serve you. And we thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.
Actually, my favorite story in the Bible is the story of Thomas. What? Um, it is. The uh, failure. The failure of Thomas. No, because, and, and it's my favorite story, and it, I hate the way that people talk about it. I hate it with all, like, oh, I have so much passion about it. In fact, the first sermon I ever preached was on that text. Um, because I was a, I, I, it was sort of like Youth Sunday. Um, which I didn't realize at the time they picked probably strategically to be the Sunday after Easter so that someone would sh- actually show up and right. so that the priest probably didn't have to preach. Um, but they asked me to preach on that day. Um, and, and I fell in love with this story when I preached it the first time um, as a youth, uh, someone who never thought about going to seminary or, or doing the priest thing or any of that stuff. Um, you know, and I, like I said, I, I just I fell in love with it and I fell in like hating the way that people talk about it so much. Um, because you know, so often this is the way the story goes. It goes, uh, Thomas is a doubter. Doubting is bad. Don't be like Thomas. And um, I just think that is so missing the point. Because what do you have in this story? You have, it's, um, by the way, I also, uh, I also drives me crazy that it's the story for the Sunday after Easter because I feel like it is the story that most people walking into church most Sundays like need to hear the most. Because what is this story? The story is like all of the disciples are doubting. Like all of them are, um, scared and afraid because Jesus has died and we didn't know. Like we didn't, we didn't, we didn't know that they wouldn't be next. So they locked themselves in a room and, um, and in the midst of this room, through the locked door, somehow, miraculously, whatever, Jesus shows up and um, speaks to them. And they are moved, and he breathes on, him the Holy, on them the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then they run, and they go find Thomas. And um, they tell Thomas what happens. And Thomas says, okay, well, that sounds great, but I won't believe until I put my hands in his, wo- in, in, in his wounds. And then, uh, and then what happens next? Thomas actually gets what he asked for, at least part of it. Like, Jesus appears to Thomas. He thinks he needs to touch his wounds, but he doesn't actually. As soon as he sees Jesus, he falls to his knees and says, My Lord, my God. And so, to me, like, it's an Easter story. It's not a story about doubt. It's a story about how far Christ will go to reach us. It's it's a story about how um, nothing, not a lock on a door, not a doubt on the human heart, not a a stone on a tomb, nothing can stop the resurrected Christ from reaching us. It's a story about God's power and triumph and commitment to us as human beings and his followers. It's not a story about how we mess it up. I don't understand why we always have to try to make every story about God to be a story about how we mess it up. But e- because Easter's not about that. It's about, yeah, you've got doubts. The risen Christ will reach you. Yeah, you're scared and you're locked away. The risen Christ will, re- will meet you. Yeah, you're grieving and alone. The risen Christ will meet you. It's an Easter story. It's about winners and losers. It's about the losers winning. Isn't that the gospel?
want to say thank you for being here today. Thank you for joining us on the journey. We invite you next week to continue the journey. See you then.